Indigenous Action is an autonomous, anti-colonial broadcast with unapologetic and claws-out analysis towards total liberation. We feature radical frontline Indigenous voices and dig deep into critical issues impacting our communities. So take your seat by this fire and may the bridges we burn together light our way. Hello, welcome everyone. Um, We're super excited for this conversation today, but before we jump into it we just want to go over our podcast agreements um starting with no academic shit respecting and using people's pronouns maintaining a balanced gender representation on the show um this show is for our folks first so we only feature BIPOC guests um We have to be anti-anti-black always and be responsible and accountable and don't put others at risk. So I'll be one of your hosts today and I'm really excited for this topic because it's something that we've addressed before Uh, and it's actually been a while since we've hosted a podcast because as things are Uh, We have a lot of other shit that we organize around and disorganize around. Uh, Activism doesn't drive our life and we're not measured. We don't measure ourselves based upon our productivity. Uh, And so whenever the podcast comes about, it comes about as an anti-colonial propaganda intervention. And so we felt it necessary to revisit this topic, even though we've done a show on this topic before and we put out a zine, uh, which we're pretty much going to be discussing. Uh, in 2017, we published a zine titled Uprooting Colonialism, the Limitations of Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, and we're going to get into that with the title of the show being Decolonization Isn't a Holiday, Rejecting Indigenous Peoples Day of Tokenism. Uh, And in the zine, we stated, as momentum has accelerated for occupying forces to issue declarations of Indigenous Peoples Day, We can't help but feel disconnected from the revelry. Aside from psychic solace, if the state dismantles these statues and proclaims Indigenous Peoples' Days, what do we actually achieve if the structures and systems rooted in colonial violence remain intact? Is it merely political posturing or window dressing to diminish liberatory agitations? Our senses are heightened as most rebrandings of of Columbus Day into Indigenous Peoples Day appear to whitewash ongoing colonial legacies. In the zine, we confronted the politics of recognition and Indigenous liberalism. We asked, if the goal is for Indigenous autonomy, liberation of the land, people, and other beings, then why plead with our oppressors to merely acknowledge or recognize our existence? Most directly, we stated, to claim Indigenous Peoples' Day as an act of decolonization is a failure of liberal assimilationists. Symbolically, ending Columbus's legacy while continuing to perpetuate and benefit from the violence of the doctrine of discovery is just one more dead-end direction of Indigenous liberalism. If we understand that colonization has always been war, then why are we fighting a battle for recognition and affirmation through colonial power structures? Indigenous Peoples' Day, as a process of collusion with occupying state forces, risks becoming a colonial patriotic ritual more than anything that amounts to liberation. 
And in today's show, we will revisit the essay, explore some of the predictions it made, particularly regarding liberal co-optation. We'll also discuss anti-colonial responses such as Indigenous People's Day of Rage and other ongoing agitations against colonialism. And so I don't think you had a chance to introduce yourself. I did it. And then we're going to welcome our guests. Mm -hmm. Hi, everyone. Oka, I'm Bon. My pronouns are they, them. I am Cocoa Pa and German. And um, just to be inclusive of folks who have different seeing abilities, I'm wearing all black. I have um, my shirt that says, keep your colonizer laws off our bodies. Um, We also have a sticker and a poster and a lot of other graphics with this cool um, graphic on it. Um, I have two braids. Uh, I have long black hair and bangs, and I have brown eyes and um, dark eyebrows, and I'm tan. Um, as I said, I'm Cocoa Pot and German, so I'm kind of light-skinned, too. <laughs> well, uh, please uh, introduce yourselves, and we'd like to welcome our guests uh, all the way from, I think everybody's uh, down south from the mountain from here. Andrew. Come from the Gila River Reservation down south of Phoenix. Chukma Sahotufoat Kitty Contagion, Chikasha Saya, Sholop Toglo Saya, so called Northern AZ Ako Antali. Hello, I am Kitty Contagion. I am a pale Chickasaw from Oklahoma. I'm two spirit. Let's see, my pronouns are anything that's respectful at the moment. And I am stoked to be here with y'all today. Awesome. And we have some questions that are prepared, some prompts. um, But I know everybody's been like, wanting to dig into this. Uh, And so the first question I'll just throw out there is, uh, how do whitewash celebrations of Indigenous Peoples Day undermine decolonization? So that's just uh, how we're going to begin. So whoever wants to jump in there. I'll jump in first for a little while. Um, The first thing that I think of is remembering back in 2017, you know, when the zine first came out. And during that time, uh, a lot of the uh, struggle against the Loop 202 South Mountain Freeway was going on, which is what I was involved in. And with all of the media frenzy happening around this change in indigenous people's day was during the same time uh folks were trying to get the word out about what's actually going on with the freeway struggle that being the record of decision came out so that meant they were green lighting blasting through a sacred place and having uh a part of it was being proud that there was a indigenous person as a judge and you know who ruled against us anyway (laughs) so it lost in the courts too and then having that clash of more the the liberal side of people or activism and the liberal circles um bringing all that you know, sharing their posts and in the media wise, how that I feel that's how it was undermining a lot of what we were doing as more of the smaller people, you know, we're not, not smaller and like as importance, but smaller reach, you know, it's compared to some of these giant orgs and people who have all this uh, capital to keep spending on shit and like 
how the regular, you know, everyday folks who are just trying to protect their well-being are being fucked over because they want to look good. And that's, I mean, that's just my first thought out the gate. I mean, the part about Indigenous Peoples Day that, like, pisses me off is that, like, the whole conversation and, you know, these um, proclamations and the conversations, like, leading up to announcing an Indigenous Peoples Day by state or by city or what have you, only really came out of, like, respectful conversations with, like, basically cherry-picked natives who sound like white people. I mean really what it is is like how are we how are we entertaining this like you know respectability and like um of like our genocide it doesn't like there's no actual decolonization happening when a state which is inherently like oppressive and repressive to indigenous people says that they finally recognize us i mean in arizona when um you know, Governor Ducey um, passed the ordinance or proclamation for Indigenous Peoples Day. I was literally arrested that day for participating in an Indigenous Peoples Day of Rage exercise. So how can we sit here and be like, yeah, Indigenous Peoples Day, but only, only if that means that the Indigenous people who are recognized by this day are, you know, the respectful, like liberal assimilated natives who aren't really asking for much besides recognition and besides for that seat at the table. Um, so there's really no decolonizing happening when there's no actual, um, you know, actions being taken. I mean, since that day, three years ago, nothing has changed for indigenous people. If anything, it's gotten worse um, in Arizona for indigenous people. So it's obviously like has no, um, you know, there's no action behind it. There's no real promises behind it. And the disgusting part about specifically the Arizona proclamation um, within it, it had, you know, these different bylines. One of them being that the state is thankful for indigenous people for sharing our resources with the state. Um you know, that those resources being the land and the water and, you know, just the geographic space that um, the settlers and invaders have taken up on these lands. So, I mean, to say Indigenous Peoples Day is a step towards decolonization is just liberal washed bullshit. Yeah, when you're saying that, I was thinking, trying to remember back, you know, what 2017 somewhere around there 2016 um i want to say like a lot of the groups that were pushing for indigenous people's day um definitely didn't represent autumn which was something that we always kind of like brought up especially being in so-called phoenix or the you know phoenix metro area like there, there was a huge lack of communication with autumn people and even when autumn people kind of interjected wanting to say like hey like this is fucked up like we shouldn't do this uh you know totally being shut down by these liberal groups and you know i think i think that just 
they're just agreeing with you there that you know they find these specific type of people the the you know they look good they look good on a camera you know they they can talk right and they're not gonna uh then they're not gonna actually do anything <laughs> precisely why we're calling this indigenous people's day of tokenism because that's what it oh, has yeah. become uh you know i was part of the process of demanding the declaration of indigenous people's day here uh, in so-called flagstaff occupied Kinflene, uh for years and the the issue is is that we were advocating for accountability though we said here's our demands you are uh perpetuating and benefiting off of the desecration of a mountain that's holy to 13 indigenous nations. So you're profiteering off of cultural genocide and you're perpetuating that every day uh, due to the contract that the city of Flagstaff maintains with Arizona Snowball to sell 180 million gallons of shit water that's been processed here from the population to spray up on the mountain so the small ski resort can make snow and make a profit. So the politicians of Flagstaff maintain that contract, they know it's a direct violation of our ways of being and it has, has had national implications on the uh, bearing of indigenous people's religious freedoms and it has been decried internationally. It's been a long, decades-long battle and here they feel like it's okay just to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. And so initially we were demanding accountability. We said you have to end the contract as a condition to be able to celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Otherwise, keep Columbus Day. Let's make it clear that you stand on stolen land with, built with stolen lives. Make it clear what systems that you uphold and perpetuate and benefit from. And so, um, there was a moment where there was a liberal co-optation from indigenous an indigenous organization that stepped in and intervened, and they sort of took the reins of this process, and they uh, ushered in the Declaration of Indigenous Peoples Day with the city of Flagstaff. There was no accountability. They stripped everything from that. And so, um, we organized some actions, a demonstration. There was over 100 some odd people. I think it was 2019 in the streets of Flagstaff. And uh, um, after that, uh, we were targeted for months. We were surveilled by police. And there were uh, about, I think, 13 or 14 of us that were um, uh, charged ultimately uh, with um, specific charges that related to that action. Uh, most of them being uh, like obstructing a public thoroughfare, you know, disorderly conduct, whatnot. But one person was facing a felony charge. And so, um, you know, they didn't want to arrest people day of. What they ended up doing was just, you know, this this drawn out investigation targeted people and had these charges hanging over everybody's heads. And so this is what we're continuing to contend with um, while they were celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. As Bond mentioned, uh, they had charged us. And actually, it wasn't until 2020 that there was four of us that, uh, or three of us that resisted those charges and they were ultimately dismissed. But everybody else took a plea deal because they were forced to negotiate due to the state repression where they were threatening this other person with the felony charges. And so, you know, today, to this day, uh, the city of Flagstaff may, 
you know, performs its theatrical Indigenous Peoples Day celebration. They do a land acknowledgement before every city council session, yet they continue to wage violence against the unsheltered rel- Indigenous relatives on the street. They continue to criminalize sleep by maintaining an anti-camping ordinance. More than 50 um percent of every arrest annually is indigenous people, yet we only make ten per- up 10% of the population. So there's an extreme racial profiling issue, extreme police violence that our unsheltered relatives um, face on the streets, and yet they can celebrate indigenous people's day is bullshit you know and i i've intervened with other actions and i don't want to talk too much about that and i've called for accountability but at this point you know i'm just like well let's just make it known let's just make it clear you know of what your what your system represents and don't um mislead folks and utilize all these tokens who just vie for settler inclusion uh in this social order and try to profiteer because right now what we're seeing is is that there's all these indigenous people's day celebrations and i want to hear y'all's take on on this particularly in so-called phoenix because i i think one of the worst in in the so-called us is happening there um especially from what we saw last year uh of co-optation and exploitation but what we're seeing is is that in the push, the initial advocacy to declare Indigenous Peoples Day and take away Columbus Day, and this is like decades long, going back for AIM resisting in so-called Denver against the Sons of Italy in their like gross racist fucking colonial parade. This goes back to Berkeley in the 1970s, I believe, with the initial pushes for Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, but what we've seen is, is that in the initial advocacy, there was clear language in addressing anti-colonialism, right? They're talking about the colonial legacy of Columbus. Where is that in these celebrations? It's like people just want to go to a fucking indigenous market uh, and, and, you know, be included and, and have visibility and recognition and make proclamations that we're still here. Well, where the fuck are we? <laughs> if we're still here, but we're still shackled, we're still restrained, we're still facing our cultural survival being threatened and profiteered with by those same forces that are, you know, recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day, then we're fucking nowhere. We, our existence is, is, is a mere specter of itself. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, it's really just the continuation of, like, the narrative that, you know, like, they teach kids in school, like, you know, like, a lot of people died, but, um, you know, eventually everything was okay, and every single Native person assimilated, and now we all happily share resources on this land. It kind of just seems like they want to keep muddying the waters here and i totally agree with that like just keep it columbus day so we know what you're about like all these celebrations is just kind of a new way for settlers to consume our native cultures and it's just like it's um very voyeuristic i would say um especially like being involved in the Indigenous Peoples Day um, celebration last year. Um, again, like lots of white people just like coming in and being like, oh, yes, very interesting. Oh, so fascinating. Um, and, you know, of course, like we 
as Native people, we have our art. We love to show it. We love to show our fashion. That's who we are. I was involved with the fashion show, so that's what I'm talking about. But, um, and we're always going to do that. Um, and of course, like it feels good to have that validation. Um, like, oh, like here's a space where you can show your art. Like as a Native person, like we're used to so much erasure, but at the same time, the only like avenues that we can really go through are just like the assimilationist ones. And it's not a collective thing. It's very much like, oh, like, you know, like I like came up off the res and now I'm like successful with my art. And that is like an indigenous success story. Um, that was a narrative that was like heavily centered um, with the artists that I met on that day. Um, just very like you're talking specifically about oh, sorry you're talking specifically about the Cahokia event that was hosted mm -hmm. in phoenix right just yes so yes listeners know. um there was a fashion show that was hosted i don't know funded perhaps um by Cahokia and ndn collective um which we all know what goes on over there um and yeah pretty much all the designers um they had a similar narrative of like you know like my family like we grew up with nothing and now i'm finally like selling clothes that have like native designs on it that's probably still coming from a sweatshop in southeast asia if we're keeping it real like no, it's not there was one designer who she handmade her garments which i highly respected but um again it was just the very like individualist like capitalist native narrative like you know if you if you work hard then you can design the uniforms like for the sons or whatever like you can we can uh we can have our people dance like before the games and like, isn't this so great? Like we're finally being recognized. I understand like the want for the validation and like the want for us to show like who we are, but like, what is it worth when it's just putting us into a box so that like people can watch us. And then meanwhile, if you're not like participating in that stuff and you're actually participating in issues that affect us beyond the art world, which is pretty much the only way we're, we're allowed to be like capitalists or whatever, then they can't wait to throw you in jail. Even if you are an artist, they can't wait to throw you in jail. Uh, as long as you're, if you're not playing the game, then it's over for you. It's, um, it's really, it's hard to see because what is one person selling a bunch of t-shirts doing for their people and their community? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I think <clears throat> like what indigenous people's day has done is just, you know, provided yet another container of like just being contained by the state. Um, so when we're given those little, you know, crumbs then people are like oh my god like you know like you said it's an indigenous success story and it's just so sad to see like just the deep hopelessness that has like settled into like, our communities 
in so much that their imagination is like basically like can only go so far as what the settler state says that we can do. And that makes us like, um, you know, part of this capitalist world, um, and which is like an indicator of success, which is, you know, I mean, again, like I see nothing about that story. That's like really surprising. Um, and like, you know, like what, what, what kind of art can we make that isn't needs to be consumed by and for like the settler state? That's what this day has really turned into is just another like opportunity for settlers to gaze upon us called the white gaze and um, participate in capitalism. And that's not what like indigenous people's day should be about, obviously. And we have uh, Amra who uh, joined us and we haven't acknowledged. So if you'd like to introduce yourself and add to the conversation, uh, Amra was also a contributing voice to the original zine that we published back in 2017. Thanks, Klee. Um, hi, this is Amra. Um, and I am coming to you all from uh, Chumash homelands in California, um, where I'm living and working right now. Um, and to introduce myself, my, um, my name is Amr Salamon and I'm a descendant of the Autumn community from Yuma, Arizona. Um, we're not federally recognized. We were much too rowdy for that. (laughs) Um, and I, I'm just been listening to you all and I've been thinking about some of the conversations that I've been in since we put out the zine. And one of the things, the conversations that come up often, um, it's kind of ironic because today I was walking around this, this little small mountain town where I live and there's like one of those little free libraries and there was like a book kind of showcased on that library that was, you know, a children's book celebrating Columbus, you know, following the dream. And it was so revolting. I was just like, oh, fucking God. Um, why? <laughs> but but to think, you know, that obviously this is this is what children are still being, you know, taught and, and mm-hmm. indoctrinated into. And that dream narrative and how it fits with like, you know, the settler dream, of course. Um, and so one of the things that I've been having conversations with folks that I know about is, you know, the symbolism of Columbus. What does Columbus mean? Like, obviously, fool didn't even land in what is, quote unquote, the United States. Um, but in like a colony of the United States, like in Puerto Rico, right? And like, why this particular colonizer? Because there's so many other asshat colonizers that they could have picked. Like, why this one? And, you know, the thing that is unique about Columbus, aside from being a genocidal asshole, is that he is considered the person who started the transatlantic slave trade. Um, and so I think that connection, like, not just, uh, you know, the, the buried history of enslavement of indigenous people that happened under this person, um, but also the connection with uh, African folks and, and Caribbean folks as well. is something I've been thinking about how indigenous people's day fails to really address that, right? There's nothing abolitionist or anti-slavery about indigenous people's day. 
right? Like it's not, it's almost framed as if, you know, it's supposed to be this counter to genocide by proclaiming that we're still here in these tokenizing consumeristic ways. But it's not a reaction to the violence that Columbus symbolizes. Um, it doesn't get us to the place where we're talking about shared histories of genocide and enslavement and how we resist that. And so I think to me, that's like the main problem that I have with it is every time I see these Indigenous Day, you know, Indigenous Peoples Day events, you know, unless you're toppling a statue of a colonizer, which is great, or, you know, burning some shit down, which is also wonderful. Um, most of the things that people are doing are just, um, as y'all were just discussing, these really consumeristic, you know, multi-culti um, shows of like culture and basically exoticism for, you know, settlers to consume. And it doesn't confront that history, it doesn't confront that power dynamic at all. And so I think that's where I'm still frustrated is like, what can we do instead to really name, you know, the violence that Columbus represents and and then use that as a catalyst for like more resistance, more abolition, more fucking shit up. Yeah, and thank you for opening that up. I think before we dig deeper into like what it actually means to be an anti-colonial abolitionist, which is something I'd like to explore more than just, you know, talking about the fucking shit show of indigenous liberalism and the politics of recognition is actually to talk about the problems <laughs> regarding that as well, a little bit more specifically. Because uh, if we look back to last year's uh, Indigenous Peoples Day celebration in so-called Phoenix, uh, sponsored by Indian Collective and hosted by Cahokia and participated by a range of folks. You know, there was a VIP section for one of the events that was like, I believe, $2,500 per table. That's um, you know, while, mm-hmm. while our unsheltered relatives are starving on the streets, mm-hmm. while, you know, uh, how like the disconnect to be able to put on an event that is a result of anti-colonial struggle for decades to challenge, you know, these these days, and then to just essentially turn it into a cash grab holiday of indigenous market marketing, really, uh, to me is just so it it's hard to comprehend that somebody can be that disconnected. And to further demonstrate the disconnect, and I haven't even looked at the website this year to see who their sponsors are, one of their sponsors was Salt River Project. Um, For those of you who don't know, Salt River Project is is essentially a resource colonial management project that is responsible for the, the devastation of coal mining, up in Black Mesa, the forced relo- which is connected to the forced relocation of more than 20,000 Diné people from our ancestral homelands, to be disconnected from that, mm. uh, that, that reality of colonial violence that we continue to resist to this day by accepting the sponsorship. I've seen a range of events like, you know, reach out to many of these sponsors uh, in these corporations and not recognize that, like, we got to be very clear where the resources are coming from to, uh, you know, have these these events. Uh, and if we're not, then we're just part of the problem. And clearly, if you're that disconnected, you very much are part of the problem. 
Well, I think you bring up a really interesting point about the resources because like, you know, like this morning I was just getting like seeing messages from folks, um, you know, talking about another like Autumn person was found, unhoused person was found deceased on the streets of, of Casa Grande. Like, and, you know, all these different things are happening that clearly, clearly illustrate that genocide is not over, right? Like so many folks um, just in my own family circles have, you know, been dealing with uh, people, you know, overdosing, people dying of alcoholism, um, you know, murdered and missing relatives, um, like stuff that hits really close to home, right? And um, like, I wonder, you know, like, I mean, I want to kind of raise hell when I see like all those resources being spent on, you know, making money for nonprofits, right? As like these fundraising initiatives and and not any money going towards like folks on the street, folks who are most impacted by you know, the, the life chances that settler colonialism has brought, right? Like that ongoing genocide, um, from addiction and and being unhoused on our own homelands, you know? And so I think, I think that's a really good point. Like, what the fuck are you doing making money out of this holiday when there are people literally dying and, you know, disappearing? First quote, I was going to go back to, uh, talking, talking shit really about, uh, the, IPD events in Phoenix because most of the art sucks. I mean, just because it's like, it's the nice looking art. I mean, at least coming from an autumn perspective, I just see people painting a bunch of basket designs or, you know, like, like they said earlier about having clothes and shirts probably still made from some fucking sweatshop because you know, people don't even print anymore. They just rather uh, do it online and get it shipped to them. So it's uh, cheap stuff. And then I think, again, going just just more or less agreeing that this, you know, just for white folks and these settlers to gawk at all of your stuff. And then, I mean, part of the problem I have with it is many people not realizing how we relate as indigenous people to symbols symbolism in that sense of what they mean to us and how they can just be commodified and then you're just fucking selling whatever um and the same thing i i was aware of the fashion show i didn't obviously i didn't go because i don't go to those things like anything and for ipd anymore um but it's just like that uh a spectacle of somebody else's culture and even then uh there's al- always seemed to be this lack of representation specifically talking with like all the people um having to fucking pay for your booth vendor area is fucking ridiculous like i can't wrap my head around paying to be somewhere where it's like that that isn't that the point of this is like this is our land right but i guess going going getting ahead uh not not even real organizers not even realizing you're playing right into the part right like this is the point to nullify our agitations and not even realizing how 
that disconnect, as you were saying Clee, earlier, being disconnected from the real world. What actually happens in our communities, you know, and how we're affected by it rather than you just focus on making money. Okay. I, I, I don't understand how to comprehend that, but to me, it's people playing right into the, the plan, right? Like to me, it just feels like we, in order to, you know, disregard people's struggles and agitations and efforts, you get this holiday. And those of them who participate in these kind of events, because they're not actions, I'd say they're just an event, but that you're, you're doing exactly what the colonizer wants. You know, you're, you're over there playing happily while they're still over here fucking up the rest of the place <laughs> for their gain while, while you stay unaware of what's going on around you. Yeah, I think, like, in this conversation, it's important just to note, too, that, like, so many people, you know, when they hear the word colonialism, they think of, like, the military or, you know, the wall, like, you know, the southern, not the northern U.S. wall, but the southern U.S. wall. And, like, these very, like, concrete, um, like, symbols of colonialism. But we have to think of colonialism in terms of, like, what it's happening what's happened to us like every day like what are we seeing every day out there um that's been influenced by you know colonialism as a mindset i mean i don't i don't think anyone here would be like surprised to hear that you know like a lot of our native relatives and kin suffer greatly from a lot of different like mental health and substance related things um and like how like like what is it doing if you know someone's selling their art at an indigenous people's day event when like the colonialism of like the mind and the spirit is still like very like rampant and we see that like every i mean i see it every day i go out like i was in you know, a lot of different kinds of, um, you know, struggles and, you know, and in, even in an interpersonal level of being a recovering addict and stuff like that is just like this big kind of like word colonialism doesn't really like, I think, fully like capture what it is that we're fighting against. Um, at least it doesn't anymore because of the co-optation of, you know, an anti-colonial analysis and of an anti-colonial, um, you know, clause out approach to things. Um, and so <clears throat> that co-optation, I think, has really made Natives believe that they are doing something good for their community when they go to an Indigenous Peoples Day event. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, within their home, there might be like tons of abuse and like substance use. So what are we doing to like, you know, on these ind indigenous people's days and anti-colonial resistance and stuff like that? Like, 
we can even even we can participate in our own you know symbolic gesture of you know being an indigenous person and being alive it almost feels like a coping mechanism like that's kind of how i think of it as like a coping mechanism for disconnection from our communities and how we're supposed to like be in community with each other like there's like there's that loneliness i think that's kind of lingering around all of it and so you know it maybe there ca it can be somewhat alleviated um by being like oh like you know like uh lots of people are gonna see this and um like maybe if we like bring awareness to our existence then like we can get somewhere in the courts because i like a lot of people that i know who are kind of like invested in that way of getting things done that is going to the courts and trying to get different policies and laws changed and shit like that i I do think, like you said, like they think that they're doing something like good for their community because again, like you mentioned earlier, it's like, damn, I, left, I lost my train of thought. Um, mm, okay. Just like that, like, I think where maybe where you were going is like just kind of having that integrated, um, you know, assimilation of like a colonial mindset of a capitalistic mindset. And I want to like mention too, that that's not true for like every indigenous person. Um, I think most people are raised in that, um, in their, in their homes. Um, and we know why, you know, boarding schools, hello. Um, <clears throat> but um, you know, so just to name that, that that's not necessarily like every indigenous person's like experience, um, and maybe in the home at least, but definitely in the outside world. Um, like, because we don't have like those connections to our ceremonies and our communities, that's kind of one of the only ways that we can like be together as indigenous people. And I know that like, some groups have their ceremonies more intact than others, but I also see those ceremonies being exploited in the same way that the art is. And yeah, it just, it feels like it, it's a breakdown of community. And it, it reminds me of how like my ancestors and like my family, like coming from a very, a very assimilated tribe, like, that is the way that the people before us dealt with the onslaught of violence that was rained down on them every fucking day. But, and you know, maybe from elders, we get this kind of sense of, you know, like you need to go out and be like a successful indigenous person in this world because like everyone thinks that we can't be successful. So you need to go show them that you can play their game too. Like that's a really big mindset um with chickasaws i feel like um which does come from like our elders saying this stuff but um the coping mechanism's got to change because we're not 
we're not freeing the resources. We're not freeing the land. We're just following everyone else off the cliff. And it, it's scary because like living that life, like a truly like anti-colonial mindset and not like buying into that shit it can mean poverty. It can mean even more violence. It can mean even more abuse. And that is a really hard thing to deal with, especially when we're disconnected from our communities. It's like, oh, well, like, I can't do this because, you know, like, who has my back? Like, how am I going to do this? I'm going to end up in jail, stuff like that. I think it's, it's hard to grapple with what actually needs to be done because... Where's our community? They're in the courts or they're organizing an event that prices everybody out of it. And, and poverty for me is existence commodified. And the level of exploitation to maintain a capitalist system necessitates that there, those will always be, though there are those that will always be below beneath to uphold uh, those at the top to maintain profit. I really like what Leanne uh, Bidankehe, I don't know how to say her middle name, uh, Simpson, says in, in her book, As We Have Always Done, where she names, and I think there's a range of other um, academics from so-called Canada who use this terminology. Instead of assimilation, they use settler inclusion. Uh, and so I think like the politics of recognition, which another <laughs> academic, I'm, I'm re referring to academic without getting into the jargon, um, uh, Glenn Coltard in uh, his book, um, White uh, Redskins, uh, or, or White Skins, Red Masks, yeah, Red, uh, Red Skins, skins White, White Masks, masks yeah. sorry, uh, <laughs> a lot going on here, because I was thinking of the, the Franz Fanon book that it's based off of, um, asserted uh, just, a, and this is something that we identify in the zine, uh, the politics of recognition versus the politics of liberation. So, you know, are we vying to be recognized by our oppressors uh, as a way of uh, ensuring indigenous existence or do our ancestors' prayers, um, uh, especially those that had resisted for indigenous survival, mean something more than that? And meaning more than that is that the land should be free, not under colonial domination, control, and exploitation. And so, for me, that's where this conversation needs to continue to be. After decades of struggle and resistance to... Um, to, to take away Columbus's legacy, to undermine that legacy, whether it's through these proclamation of Indigenous Peoples Day or tearing down physically these statues, um, we're seeing the co-optation of liberalism, who and Indigenous liberal liberals particularly, who are ready to perform and tokenize themselves, and those artists who are ready to profit and exploit off of that. I mean, I'm all for the survival, you know, economy if you will, um, uh, where people, you know, got their hustles, but don't make the struggle your hustle. You know, I had this argument with the same thing. I, I don't know why we're picking on so-called Phoenix today, but uh, before the, um, was it the uh, the Super Bowl, whatever fucking yeah. sports event that happened with the um, some racist uh, team that was playing, uh, Amanda Blackhorse was mobilizing a, a, a resistance to the mascot um, uh, there and the portrayal of dehumanization of indigenous people. And there was all these native artists who, who make 
uh, support indigenous resistance shirts who were part of the Super Bowl uh, uh, economy. Uh, they were they were like cashing in on that, and Amanda was asking for support, and they weren't there. So if you're gonna if you're gonna fucking make a shirt that says support indigenous resistance, yet you are gonna so you take money, take crumbs, take whatever falls off the table from the enemy that they hand you, then no, we have to have a deeper conversation. We have to have intervention and cut that shit out. And that's what is happening. And we, we addressed this to some degree in a previous show, identifying trading post activism, what we call trading post activism, uh, because this is essentially just reservation mentality. We, we perhaps are not physically on a reservation, but spiritually we are. And this is the dead end of indigenous existence because we are selling ourselves into uh, inclusion of settler society and maintaining that. And the colonizers, our fucking enemies, are more than happy that we're doing that. They're more than happy just to throw a fucking bone and say, all right, you know, we've let them, we've let that pressure release valve out. People were fucking scared. I mean, you know, talk about making colonizers afraid again. They were scared at standing after Standing Rock, during Standing Rock and after Standing Rock. That's why they weaponized the paramilitary police forces and used every form of mass surveillance uh, possible to undermine that resistance because of how powerful it was. And they did undermine it. They infiltrated, they attacked, uh, and people are still going through uh, the court system and so forth. And so, um, you know, uh, the pressure relief I think is necessary by these colonizers to say, Hey, what can we do to just appease? And, uh, you know, people's even celebrating, like we got indigenous people's day. Let's turn this into a holiday. It's sort of low hanging fruit. This is the base level of what we should be fucking demanding as indigenous people mm. whose, whose sacred sites, whose ways of being, whose existence is constantly being threatened to this very day. And I mean, I don't even, I'm not even technically sure if, like the end of the Columbus day actually happened because when you see it on a Google calendar or your, um, I have an iPhone, iPhone calendar, it says just Columbus day. And then next to it, it says indigenous people's day. So it literally like means absolutely nothing. And could you imagine like what these people who fought so hard for this to happen, if they put that effort and energy and, spirit into something actually like meaningful for us. I mean, I can't even imagine just what that alone could have done in our communities. I mean, I just watch people over, you know, just, you know, and, and so-called Flagstaff, you know, over years, like fight for this, um, organize for this, prepare food for this, you know, have these speakers come out and talk about, you know, these um, really like, suggestions that they wanted to deliver to the city council. And I was actually, <clears throat> you know, part of those conversations. Um, you know, I think I, I'm not sure if I was still in college. I'm not sure. I have, you know, blossomed into this like burgeoning radical activist and I was a neoliberal <laughs> before that. Um, but don't like, don't get that twisted with We're like, glad you're here now. I know I'm here now. Thank God. Um, <laughs> thank the creators. Um, you know, and like, even, even within those neoliberal spaces, like, um, you know, I was always the one that was kind of the person who was a little bit too much for them to handle. Um, and, you know, looking, looking back into like, you know, the kind of like stages of my life, you know, I'm 31 now and 
when I was the most, um, like when I was the most, how would you put it? Um, consumable by like the settler state, um, meaning, you know, the city of Flagstaff here. Um, cause I've lived here for 13 years now is when like, you know, my quality of life was such that would be recognized, um, as being like, um, you know, livable, if you will. And the more and more like outspoken and, you know, radical, if you will, that I've like become like my opportunities for, you know, that kind of love quality of life have almost like diminished. I mean, I live in a trailer off grid and I can't like take a fucking shower every day because I don't have running water. And, you know, I like there are so many parts of that kind of lifestyle that I really love. Like I've connected to nature in ways that like would not be possible even if I spent like, you know, so many so much time like not being in the city. Um, And so that was like obviously really valuable for me on that um, in that aspect. But like I like. Like, it's different not having the option to fucking shower every day when, like, when people don't have, like, when indigenous people specifically, no matter where they're located, um, but especially on, like, you know, these reservation lands, like, there's still no fucking water, like, electricity, um, and, you know, that can bring up, like, a lot of other conversations about, like, you know, do we, what kinds of energy are, like, you know, should we be introducing into like reservation lands. That's a conversation we've already had and we can have again. But um, the point is that I'm trying to make is that like even, you know, in the evolution of like my life as um, an indigenous person who was separated from their mom um, at a very young age, 10 years old, um, she was deported and then she went missing um, to like, being in that survival mode of just like, this is what I have to do so I can just live in this world, which is, you know, graduate from high school, go to college, and then have like these nonprofit jobs. Um, I've been unemployed for the last year. Um, it's just like, I've just kind of like did this kind of evolution into like an assimilated white person and then like kind of, you know, just recognize the absolute like buffoonery in that and like the um like tokenizing that I've experienced in this city has like pushed me away from like opportunities that would um like increase my quality of life meaning like you know jobs that pay someone enough money to live in Flagstaff um that is like not really attainable for me anymore because I haven't gotten like an award from the city of Flagstaff in, you know, the last like five or six years or something. And now I'm like disposable because, you know, I haven't like been reaching for those, um, you know, um, hollow recognitions and these gestures of awards and, you know, being in the paper and being part of these campaigns with the city and blah, 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 X, Y, Z. So what you're saying is if we do away with capitalism, <laughs> uh, then we don't have to worry about that survival fight because uh, we can thrive as we have been maybe in uh, mutuality with all existence as indigenous people. So maybe that's the equation and direction of the conversation. Uh, Amra, I think you wanted to jump in there too. Yeah, like, I mean, on on that note, right? Like, 
I'm not as familiar with the fuckery in Flagstaff and Phoenix as you all are. But, um, you know, I grew up in California and the fuckery out here is pretty awful. Um, <laughs> and on the same sense that like, I think what we, what I'm hearing from our conversation is that culture and resistance are not events, right? Like event is something different. And that is something that a lot of folks, particularly in like urban communities, um, or even folks trying to form community in urban spaces, like that it's, it's like a critique that I've always like been the asshole for bringing up that I'm like, well, this is just an event. Like, you know, and I'm feeling you mm-hmm. on when you're talking about like being that asshole, <laughs> always bringing up like they're obvious you know? <laughs> and calling it out and people getting mad and like, you know, not wanting to give you money anymore. Um, I, I feel that because <laughs> like, you know, I, I've had a, a particularly, I mean, in California, like there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, native community spaces out here are, are really set in the past and kind of stuck in the past. And like, like, you know, it's still like old dudes from the 1960s kind of running everything. And then same with, you know, I'm also Chicana and like with that community as well, like it's so event based, like, and so to the point where people conflate community with event and community with and culture with event. And, and resistance becomes an event, you know, <laughs> and yeah. that's just it. It's not, it's not a way of life. You know, it's, it's not um, actually like pushing on the system in any way because it's just an event. It's just entertainment or it's just yeah, it's a, it's a commodified performance. Exactly. So it is just entertainment. Yeah. It's entertainment. It's, it's, you know, what are we going to do on Thursday night? Or we're going to go to this like radical event. <laughs> And it's like, well, you could have gone to the movies, you could have gone out to eat, like, it's, it's in that spectrum of choices, of like, entertainment, you know, or where am I going to go see my friends? And, and that's a really sad and low place to be, I think, you know, that that we're at that point, And, and it's really difficult for people to break out of. You know, so when I'm sitting there being an asshole, complaining about things, like the folks that I'm trying to have this conversation with, like, are offended and hurt and they really don't want to break out of it and try something different. And I'm like, well, why don't we, you know, why don't we, why don't y'all come over and let's build an Adobe oven (laughs) and make some chimic. Like that's not really what folks want to do on the weekend. They want to go to one of these events. And and so I'm, I'm over here trying to figure out how to make chimic by myself, but (laughs) but it's like that, you know, it's, it's like, how do we kind of collectively shift out of this event economy that we're in towards Mm -hmm. these other things that we want to do? Um, like resistance, like cultural revitalization, like building community. And uh, we wanted to also shift the conversation um, because we're running a little bit low on time. Uh, In the zine, we state that uh, assuming that colonial power structures will bend to moral arguments is a position that accepts the idea that colonial power can be absolved. We believe that it cannot be. It must be destroyed, and the conditions that precipitate it must also be rooted from these lands. As anti-colonial abolitionists, we seek the total dismantling and systematic er erasure of colonial domination and exploitation from these lands. So, uh, we wanted to, you know, sort of wrap up this conversation with the question, what does it mean to you to be an anti-colonial abolitionist? Or what does anti-colonial liberation mean to you? 
I guess for me, I think kind of what Amara was saying is uh, what that means for me would be learning about mm-hmm. your your roots, you know, your own people uh, who you represent, that those people you come from. For myself, I'm just in awe of them. And, but because of that, that's where that resistance mentality comes from. That in order for us to break out of this and shift from the coping mechanisms to get away from this commodified culture, we need to understand what that culture is actually represents to, you know, your own people that finding your own roots gets you out of that because our roots are not in capitalism. They're not in the system that we, this survivalist struggle that we have to go through and the bullshit that we're put through. And that's why, you know, these orgs prey on, you know, these artists, like I, earlier I said, the art sucks because, well, I think the art sucks. But these orgs prey on other artists because, and then, you know, it, for them, again, it's that validation that they get from buying a piece of art or buying uh, clothing or jewelry or beadwork <clears throat> that it makes them feel good. They can, they have to survive somehow like that. I respect the hustle for sure. But when you're, you know, selling your soul, because you want to sell uh, these basket designs or this uh, imagery, you know, this cultural imagery. It it's just so shitty for them to to do that. But again, thinking that you're actually doing well for the community. And so, for myself, going back, it's learning about where you come from, who you are, to get away from those coping mechanisms. Learning about what the purpose of our culture means since we're our culture is different than everybody else's and you know respectfully everybody's culture is different than each other's and they have those values and they have similarities in it but we can still that's how we can come together as learning about actually learning about each other's culture not just being a spectacle of it that's what i would say like it means for me too like for the longest time we didn't need any of this shit to get along and we were thriving people and for me um you know particularly with being chikasha we historically have been known as being one of the more militant um peoples living in the southeast to the point where we battled so much that like we got killed at like higher rates because of how often we were fighting and that is like what keeps it alive in me knowing that like our ways now that's not like who we actually are as people Mm. like and we can get back to those that mindset um and not just like being militant but also just being who we are in relation to the land in relation to each other and all the other creatures that live here that revitalizing that and also bringing bringing others 
into that type of mindset, I think is really important. Um, like we live in a society of death and destruction and it's really easy to only hold on to like the anger and the violence that we want to enact, which absolutely there is a time for that. Um, but also there's this radical love that is part of it a, a lot for me. Um, people are so like lonely inside their own heads and getting back to those old ways of being with each other. I think that that is, that's the ultimate goal. The bringing it back to the collectivism while also acknowledging we all have different cultures. We all have different ways that we do things, but a lot of it comes back to we're just here to enjoy and be in harmony with this amazing place that we've got put on with all of these gifts. And we can't appreciate those gifts until we get rid of the fuckers who are poisoning them. So at the end of it, for me, it's love, but there's going to be some, some scary stuff in between. <laughs> that comes from a place of love though. Right. I mean, <laughs> I love people so much that I'll freaking, you know, do what I got to do to protect them. Um, <clears throat> I think one thing like, you know, that's important for me to just like name out loud is that like opportunities for like reconnection to my tribal communities are very, very small. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I lost my mom to deportation, which I mean, I mean, like, Mexicali is literally just, like, a really short drive across the border. And as we know, like, the border crossed our lands. Um, that happened when I was 10, and then I was incarcerated into the foster care system. So, um, you know, and then in that survival mode of, like, oh, my God, like, I have to live, um, I, you know, going through college, blah, 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 and stuff. So really, like, my opportunity to, like, do that has been within this, like, last you know three four year five year window and like each time I, I visit home I just I feel like such a fucking outsider it's such a weird creepy feeling um and you know you want to be so respectful of like um of this place and these people that you don't know and not coming in as like someone who's just you know recreating this weird white gaze shit um and then you know to come come to find out they're like um through assimilation like very homophobic queerphobic um <laughs> republican um you know all this um but that like you know so everything i think everyone's like reconnection um story is like really different and i just want to like just name that and like have you know, respect for everyone's access to that, um, if they even have any whatsoever. And then I think, um, like, to answer the question, you know, what does it mean to be an anti-colonial abolitionist? I mean, 
it's definitely like not sitting in the town hall demanding that, you know, this fucking indigenous people's day is declared. Um, I think we've made that really clear or even like really is it even to appeal to the settler colonial state whatsoever. I absolutely believe in indigenous armed defense on an individual self-defense level and community defense level as, um, you know, what just happened, um, gosh, I think it was yesterday and the news came out today or it was today and we just got the news, um, a few hours before we started recording about someone being, um, shot in the chest at a, um, at a, in uh, Espanola, yeah, the rally yeah. to intervene in the resurrection of uh, Oñate, the Conquistador monument. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, we live in a very violent fascist world, and I believe that in order to protect each other from you know, the continued genocide of our lives by, like, fascist civilians, not even considering the, like, military police industrial complex. Like, we need this kind of, like, defense in our communities. Um, Like, I just, there's, I don't think there's another way to put it. I mean, like, as far as I know, like, this happened, I think, three years ago, right? Um, to, at, in yeah, Al- 2020, uh, Scott Williams was uh, shot and he survived, but he was shot at another uh, monument protest with the same conquistador in Albuquerque. Yeah. So, like, what are, you know, what are we doing? Like, letting this <laughs> continue to happen. Uh, I'm not really interested in a liberal, like, take on the matter of, like, you know, violence doesn't, like, cure violence. I mean are we just going to fucking sit here and be enslaved? Like, what the fuck do people mean? Like, violence doesn't solve violence. Um, And there's legal ways to, like, proceed with, you know, what, genocide? In which, like, laws are, like, the very basis of laws are, like, to continue the genocide of, like, Black and Indigenous people. So I'm just, like, not interested in any of those um, takes. And that's a huge part of, you know, being an anti-colonial abolitionist is um like defending ourselves and our people yeah i i relate to like a lot of what you said like i think you know for me like my my you know traditional community is ancestral community is from yuma (laughs) so like because of the military bases the border and just the you know influence of racist white folks from arizona um, you know, a lot of our traditional folks, a lot of our elders, people in my family, they're, they're completely assimilated to that rural redneck, like mm-hmm. ideology of, you know, um, I mean, it's a trip. Like one of the most traditional aunties I have is always posting like, uh, you know, anti undocumented migrant shit. I'm like, Dude. Oh and, then, and then she's the one who mm-hmm. carries our old histories about surviving massacres, about evading the re- reservation, about crossing the border, you know, to keep kids out of boarding schools. And I'm like, you know better. <laughs> but, you know, that's who she's surrounded with, you know. 
And so it's, it's complicated, you know, trying to go home and like spend time with my elders, trying to understand our, our history and our culture, because exactly that, like the internalized white supremacy, the internalized border, the internalized heteropatriarchy. I mean, particularly even, you know, any <laughs> going into like any other autumn space, like the internalized heteropatriarchy is so fucking deep. It's really frustrating. Um, and so the, you know, so that's, that's just kind of the complication of it um, for me to think about like, okay, what would it look like to like reclaim our land? You know, and I've talked to a lot of our elders about this and they want to revisit the federal recognition issue. Um, you know, we had, you know, this failure of recognition that happened in the 1920s and they, they really want recognition now. They think that that, and they think that that's justice for that time. And what happened, and and I, it's hard to have conversations, to, you know, with, I think my generation of folks are like, nah, we don't need that shit. Let's just go occupy some land. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. we can, we can do all the things without, you know, regardless of what the government thinks about us at all. Um, but the elders still have that mindset that they need recognition in order to take back the land to, that's the only way they can get it, um, or to just have that deal with their internalized like issues around other native people not thinking that they're native enough because they're not federally recognized or because they're on the border. Um, and so I think that's the thing that I've been thinking about. And like the only example that I've ever seen of people who have really like practiced like land back and also I think decolonial abolition are native folks in Mexico that I've spent time with. Um, you know, and I, I think about the lessons that I learned, from, like, you know, how different it is there, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are times where, you know, there's one time I was in, visiting a village with some friends um, that they had connections to in Hidalgo. And there was, you know, folks didn't like the prices that the Coca-Cola vendor was charging. So they set up a blockade with guns and didn't allow the truck into the village until he renegotiated the prices. Right? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, that's, that's how you do it if you want soda, I guess, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I can't, uh, you know, and my elders have stories about doing that in Yuma, like how they used to confiscate white people's beer when they rode, drove across the reservation, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, and we don't do that anymore. Um, you know, and, and, but I spent a lot of time learning with and, and exchanging with, um, folks in different communities in Mexico and, and what Native folks are doing down there is really different. You know, folks occupy land and they take it back. They don't try to buy it back. You know, they're not going to waste their resources giving, you know, they, they don't recognize <laughs> that, that they should owe anyone money for their own land. They just go back and take it. And it's dangerous. It's, it's very, very dangerous. Like some of the most dangerous situations I've ever been in in my life have been with those communities. Um, but, you know, these are the same communities that are, that are revitalizing their culture, but also asking questions, you know, where I would see folks learning how to completely de-link from capitalism and how to completely de-link from the prison industrial complex and having really difficult, difficult conversations about how do we deal with domestic violence without the state? How do we, you know, how do we hold each other accountable? How do we create transformative justice? How do we, 
challenge transphobia in our community, you know, because we've decided that that's a problem. <laughs> and, you know, talking to their elders and, and confronting them about it, you know, and doing the stuff that I, I wish we could do here, but that um, it almost feels impossible on this side of the border because of the assimilation. And so I think that that's where I'm at is I'm always trying to like think about what I learned in those moments and how could I, how could I convince, you know, my own people that my own family, that that's possible, you know, cause I've seen it. It is, you know, but it, it's, it, you need more than one person to do it, you know? Yeah. For me, um, what it means to be an anti-colonial abolitionist. And I think it's an important distinction one to make um, because decolonization has become that buzzword that I think was referenced earlier where it's been said over and over again that it really has lost all its meaning. It's been co-opted uh, into lifestylist uh, projects that um, really are completely disconnected from any meaningful engagement in indigenous liberation. I think um, Eve uh, Tuck and Wang's uh, powerful essay, Decolonization is Not a Metaphor, really speaks to this. Um, that essay somewhat falls short uh, regarding discussions on you know what is to be done in terms of violence and nonviolence, which I think are really key because there's a lot of passivity that's built into settler inclusion and that fear is real about the consequences, of course, the consequences of, you know, being forced to be out on the street, being forced to, you know, um, be further impoverished or, you know, if you're not paying whatever, you know, as my dad says, if you can't afford to sleep at night because they have commodified the night and they own it, um, then uh, you know we're we're forced uh, to face the ongoing settler and state violence, um, and so the what I wanted to get into is a distinction I think is necessary that um, that scene even or that essay didn't really address, and it's between decolonization and anti-colonial struggle. And for me, decolonization is is radical reconnecting to existence and our who we are in this world as indigenous people and being indigenous means being of the land. So what does that mean? You know, the, the relationships that we have to all of existence creation. Um, so that reconnecting process is not mutually exclusive from anti-colonial struggle. To me, uh, what it, what anti-colonial struggle means and what it means to be an anti-colonial abolitionist is that we are weapons against colonial uh, ideas, the institutions uh, and systems uh, you know, these pipelines, these, these uh, massive uh, mines, uh, pipelines for oil, these, these massive mines for lithium, the desecration by ski, of secret sites for ski resorts, the uh, violence against MMIWG2ST, the, um, the reality of our relatives being out on the street and so forth, the whole list of these, these issues aren't going to go away unless we actually address the root cause of them and it's this, these systems that generate uh, the uh, ongoing domination exploitation of our existence as indigenous people. And so I think the distinction is really important because we can all gain, we can, we can all um, uh, participate in anti-colonial struggle. 
uh, and abolition these uh, and abolish these systems, and we should. Uh, and it's not mutually excuse, exclusive from uh, decol- decolonization, that radical reconnection to who we are, an assertion of who we are beyond we are still here or beyond um, uh, resilience, which just means our, we have good capacity to endure colonial violence and we're going to continue and still be here. But again, where are we? Um, let's talk about those terms, especially in terms of you know a day that is set aside which now is marked as an entertainment sort of commodified holiday of Indigenous Peoples Day. Let's look at, you know, do we do we actually believe Indigenous Peoples Day is every day? <laughs> do we actually believe in land back? Uh, and, and, and let's have the deeper conversations of what that means to get there. And that, to me, means tearing down these systems, tearing down you know, this, this project of so-called America, viewing it as a, a, a monument in its entirety to all the systems of oppression that we continue to suffer and face. Um, and that to me means liberation. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when we talk about Black Lives, you know, matters, that that's, you know, what, what that means. It talks, it, it means getting to the root cause of the issues that we face and fighting meaningfully for liber, liber, liberation with all of our relations. Um, and everybody can uh, engage in anti-colonial struggle. So being a, a spiritual weapon, if you will, against the, the colonial forces that deprive us of existence uh, is key to being an anti-colonial abolitionist. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect and, and, and speak every element of our, 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 our ways of being our language and our ceremonies and all that stuff, we can reconnect while we're tearing down these fucking systems because we are multitaskers. You know, if, if, if colonization is war, anti-colonial struggle means attack. <laughs> There's no way around it. There's no peaceful proposition or progressive proper, proper proposition that anybody can make uh, to uh, convince the colonizers to beg them for justice uh, out of this system. We have to go through directly through it. And many of our elders, they see, they, they've, they've said this, they see this, and this is part of like the ongoing beautiful resistance up a big mountain. You know, people talk about, you know, suffering through poverty with no running water and electricity. It's like my elders thrive in that. That's how I was raised on dirt floor hogans, you know. Uh, you're, you're closer to existence and you understand where things come from. And it's not that we need to sacrifice um, you know, people to to reconcile these issues, but we have to reconcile them through our our cultural understandings and balance and harmony with existence. And that is a powerful act of love, but it's also a powerful act of negation because there's no positive way of trans translating colonialism, the ideas of colonialism, the systems that uphold colonialism and perpetuate its violences in our ways of being. So that implies there's only a negative way to engage it. And to me, it's uh, colonial negation. Oh, sounds sounds like maybe we're at a good place to wrap up, huh? Um, uh, Are there any uh, closing remarks that y'all would like to have? I know we've um, had quite a, a deep conversation, really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your y'all's time. Um, and there's much more that we could talk about. I think like when we get back into these shows, um, we're always looking at like these things, like we need to revisit land back. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously there's a conversation that we opened up a while back, especially, uh, criticizing land acknowledgements. And we can see it's like sort of predictive. We, we sort of saw where these were going. We're offering some critique to say, Hey, let's, let's actually think a little deeper about this. Cause we owe our ancestors and coming generations, at least that consideration, 
um, let's let's reconcile it through our cultural frameworks and let's look deeply about what the implications mean by subscribing ourselves and enclosing ourselves further in these uh, colonial systems and you know make it a choice you know and if 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 not then we can resist we can fight forward and through so if there's anything you all like to add um, before we wrap it up I want to add something yeah I think a lot of a lot of of parts of this conversation um, is making me want to have another conversation about, you know, what um, black and indigenous liberation looks like and what that solidarity looks like. I mean, um, and that was something I, I like kind of thought we could touch on in this conversation. Um, Cause I think it's related. Cause I don't know how we can talk about like indigenous liberation without talking about black, liberation and and vice versa um just in like a general sense and then um just wanting to note like you know um within like that conversation and you know within this conversation too i mean like the topic of of colorism is really real in our communities there's a reason why i was like tokenized so easily by um, you know, the city of Flagstaff and other um, settler institutions like NAU, because I'm not dark skinned. Um, and I think we need to really recognize that, like, we like, like the situation in which like colorism, like puts this entire conversation of like anti-colonialism and combating, um, you know, white supremacy. Um, and so like, I think in that, um, you know, that's just another, like, um, tactic of containment is, like, who who does fit in this box as an Indigenous person and who doesn't. Um, and so I think we need to, like, integrate that a lot more into our conversations as well as, as, as a, you know, as a lens through which we should be viewing like liberation and freedom because on that path as it currently is situated right now like a lot of people are going to be left behind um because people are just going to like be disinterested once you know they have their piece of the pie which we've seen people do all the time um so yeah just last little note i had on that Definitely another show. Yes. <laughs> I just I just wanted to say um, before I need to go, I was supposed to be somewhere at seven, but I'd rather sit here and talk with you guys anyway. But um, I guess my only remark in the end would be, I guess I think depending on your community, depending on what are the needs of your community, attack will look different at one given time. So that to to acknowledge that in you know, people's efforts or, or however they see fit because we don't know what happens in other communities or what their actual needs are. But again, realizing how, how, how different we are, you know, I think there's a sort sort of a way to uh, engage, engage with each other in that way. And I think that, uh, having that attack you need knowing when and where to attack and what to attack right like i think what 
should be done is is acknowledge and and it's it's a difficult conversation and to acknowledge people in your community and what those needs actually are and how they're going to look and how you know you make that a reality not just being able to protest from you know eight eight to five or protest whenever because you know how great does that really work sometimes but being actually being able to have meaningful engagement with your own community and actually seeing results of what you're attacking from actually finding what is going to work and what isn't going to work because i mean couple of what five ten years ago i would have been all for protests all the time but i mean i don't think that's viable sometimes especially now and i think you know people tend to see these events as their form of protest but obviously they're not obviously we've been saying <laughs> so much that these are just native markets and we as indigenous people and something I said before is learning about our roots, we begin to dissociate from, you know, American culture, beginning to some, something, some, I don't remember who said it earlier, but like live how we're supposed to live or live uh, our own existence on our own terms, not, not dealing with having these other influence, outside influence of, white culture, American culture coming into our indigeneity. So instead of going, going through all of these, uh, events and holidays, then, you know, defining our own identity, because I mean, right now we're dependent on, uh, I get, well, I mean, dependent on these holidays to like, like we, everyone's been saying so far that, you know, we're asking them, for approval we're asking the enemy for approval but I, I guess my yeah my last actual remark was just learning about your own community finding the needs of your own community and how you attack might look different than somebody else's but as long as you're on the attack then you're, i think that's a good path yeah and thanks for saying that their art sucks because i know that, that that's probably going to be the biggest thing that blows up our comment section <laughs> their art sucks it does I I yeah, i'll go a step further and call them native sellouts there now i'm the bad <laughs> one <laughs> let's let's get those comments on fire oh yeah i have i have to go but uh i wish you all well yeah thank you Bye. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I mean, you know, we can't end without saying fuck Columbus, right? But <laughs> I mean, you know, we do want to get rid of, of him and everything about him and all that shit. Um, and it is really violent, like having to deal with like people celebrating that shit, like celebrating genocide and slavery is fucking violent. And uh, we need that to stop. But beyond that, and I think that's like the question that we had like in the in the zine and the first conversation is like and then what <laughs> like okay get rid of the day good okay and then what you know and i think that that's the deeper conversation that we've been having and and i'm looking forward to the the next the next conversation you know thinking about black and indigenous liberation together and, and you know kind of connecting that um 
because I think that that's the conversation, like I said, has been coming up for me with with friends is um, a lot of folks that, you know, Black friends of mine who resonate with the anti-Columbus sentiment are not sure how to engage when the alternative or like the way that like um, anti-Columbus sentiment is being channeled into just a multi-culti celebration of you know, indigenous cultures as touristy exotification doesn't give them a place to engage as much as they want to, to talk about their own histories and also their own struggles, but also connect with indigenous folks who are in that abolitionist and decolonial struggle too. Um, and so I think that that's, that's where we need to take it. What just keeps going in my mind is that there's no limit to um, what the colonizers will take. Um, they'll just keep taking and taking and they'll steal whoever, whatever to do it. And like, okay, <laughs> the, every single treaty has been broken. Anytime we have ever tried to negotiate because like for a lot of us, like that is our ways. Like we want to avoid violence at all costs because there are ways to talk about these things. But the thing is, is the colonizers, they don't listen to that. And if they do negotiate, it's because they think they have the upper hand or they are getting something out of it. But the thing is, is that they will just keep taking and that's not going to stop until they are literally physically stopped. So that's my closing remark. Um, we need some more like, I don't radical mistrust. Um, maybe for these things, because again, why are we asking the enemy for crumbs? They've made it clear again and again that they're the enemy. Like, why would we ever negotiate with the people who caused the problem in the first place? Um, so yeah. And fuck DeSoto too. Yeah. We didn't we didn't even talk about Indigenous People's Day of Rage. Oh um, but maybe we'll save that for another time. Or maybe yeah. there's actually not anything we should talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, there are other more creative and direct ways that folks have engaged in antagonisms and conflict. Uh, to undermine um, the politics of recognition and not just to be set against our own who are celebrating the under the banner we are still here and our existence is resistance is something that sort of essentially uh, Andrew was alluding to, which to me is just, you know, well, that, do that doesn't imply passivity, does it? Let's talk about what that means. And that's maybe another show as well. And so, um, yes, there are other creative means that folks have engaged in to challenge, confront, and to ensure that there is a narrative uh, part of the story that continues to build on the prayers uh, for liberation from our ancestors and for future generations, not just to settle, accept, and uh, be included but to unsettle and to reject and to recognize where and how we can restore harmony with existence. And for me, that's 
um, where I, I like to spend most of my time. Like I, I, I even just complaining about, you know, liberal expressions and co-optation of indigenous people's day as a holiday and tokenism is just, it feels like it takes a lot of our time and we shouldn't have this conversation, but <laughs> apparently we still need to because <laughs> the shit is ongoing. Um, so yeah. And if yeah. you want to add anything in closing too. I mean, I think for me, even though, you know, I mean, there's some issues I feel like a broken fucking record on like them and my WG2ST stuff, but like these moments of like sharing, you know, like both in person space and in digital space with like people who like, you know, I think Kitty was talking about this element of like just feeling fucking alone. Um, I think is a sentiment that a lot of people out there feel, especially, you know, our rural in our rural communities and these so called like um towns that you know, these colonial borders crossed and that, that are now known as border towns. Um, like, you know, there's just that deep sense of like, what am I doing here? And like, <laughs> um, like why, why am I here? And anyhow, uh, I think I just like wanted to just, you know, acknowledge that like opportunities like this to like speak, somewhat candidly i mean it is a recording so i'm not you know saying things that could you know potentially incarcerate myself or others um <laughs> but like just yeah having that like space and you know feeling like that connection is really important to me and i know you know we said like we haven't put out this podcast in a while because we're not on like some kind of like, you know, colonial timeline. Um, feels really relevant, but also feels like something I want to have happen more consistently because of what this does for spirit. And I hope that people listening feel that like acknowledgement and that spark in spirit too, that you're not alone. Like you're not obtuse for wanting to bash back against all this bullshit not even just not even just coming from the settler state but coming from our own relatives and people and our communities and stuff and and so um just yeah shout out to all those people resisting it um and small and in communities and in some communities by themselves well, awesome. Thank you all so much for your energy, your time, and yeah, digging deep with us and looking forward to further conversations. Thank you. You can find this broadcast on any of the usual podcast platforms or at indigenousaction.org backslash podcast. Email us pics of burning cop cars, burning churches, burning forts, or any questions or topics you'd like to hear us go claws out on at iainfo at protonmail.com.